0: You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to issue 129 of the Comic Book Informer Podcast coming to you on June 25th. I'm Vince, along with Roger. How you doing today, man?
0: Why are you speaking so loud? You're I, so loud. No, I'm not. You are. I'm adjusting your volume. <laughs> Trust me. On my end, you're just blaring. Okay. So that's I'm it. Sorry. That's how I'm doing. Sorry. <laughs> Be
1: ahead. quiet.
0: Just not so excitable.
1: <laughs> Listen, there's a lot of fake in it going on today. <laughs> yeah. You need <laughs> both. All right. So we are wrapping up summer blockbuster month here. And well took a little thinking as to what we were going to talk about this week because the next big summer movie at least for me is Pacific Rim but that's not based on a comic book I mean it has a nice little comic prequel out really nice hardcover that uh, Marvel put out so that didn't quite work Uh, really the only other summer comic movie is R.I.P.D. and we're not touching that literally the only good thing about that is Jeff Bridges So the next comic movie coming up would be Thor The Dark World, but I have a feeling I would be fired if I made Roger Reed another Thor comic. (laughs) So in order to stretch this theme, uh, I decided to look towards next year. And after the fun we had with uh, Wolverine last week, I thought we would stick to that classic X-Men theme, where coming out next year, we have the X-Men Days of Future Past movie, which is actually going to be collecting various cast members, just about all of them, from All of the movies, the original three, as well as first class and doing this crazy time stream crossing multi-generational story. I I don't know. It's probably not going to be that good. But we get to talk about another all-time classic storyline, and that is, of course, the X-Men Days of Future Past from 1981. It was in Uncanny X-Men number 141 and 142, written by Chris Claremont, art by John Byrne, Terry Austin, and Glynis Wine. And this is one of those stories that just holds up. Well, it is because of,
0: like, I mean, again, it's the post-apocalyptic kind of story, and it has that twist of sending Kitty back so that she's trying to alter what that, that timeline is. I mean, it's nothing spectacularly original in concept, but in execution, it was freaking
1: awesome. And this was a really interesting period for the X-Men. Like, this was just after Jean Grey died for the second time, when she sacrificed herself to control, or not control, but get rid of the Dark Phoenix. So she's gone. Cyclops kind of quit to go on his little personal quest there. (laughs) Emo binge. (laughs) And this was right after kitty pride had joined the team for the first time not even joined the team she joined the school she wasn't really an x-man yet but i thought it was pretty hilarious seeing this you know flash forward to this uh, post-apocalyptic future that is set in the far future of the year 2013 yeah. <laughs> now granted in 1981 that was pretty far away Well, i mean look at blade runner so blade mm-hmm. runner is
0: damn what is it it's 2020 something isn't it Somewhere around there, yeah, maybe twenty twenty five or something like that. Yeah, it's I don't not think we're gonna catch yet. up
1: to that one either. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's no flying cars in our future, people. We've been yeah. lied to. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm kind of okay with not having the killer androids, as long as they're sexy killer androids. I'm actually okay with it. Mm. All right. Well, back to the story at hand. <laughs> the uh, the 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 purpose of the future storyline here is telling us that in 1988, due to you know political pressure, the Mutant Control Act was passed. So mutants became hunted, most of them killed, and a few imprisoned. And not just mutants; any other powered you know hero or villain was really on the chopping block. So we're in this future, and really the only surviving characters we have to follow are Wolverine, Storm, Colossus... Kitty, who is now calling herself Kate Pride, as well as Magneto, Franklin Richards, and a woman named Rachel, who we come to find out later is uh, Rachel Summers, now known as Rachel Gray in the comics. But this was actually her first appearance in the X-Men franchise as well. So there's a lot of really important stuff going on in this one little two-issue story.
0: Yeah. And if you read the issues that came before that, which were the the setup for it kind of thing, you see a, a lot of firsts and a lot of things that up until that point you had no clue what was going on and different things. I mean, the, the stuff with, um, the, uh, Wolverine going back up North because of, <laughs> I love that it's the evil Canadian government out to get him <laughs> <laughs> and then the stuff with Kitty first joining up and then the stuff with, um, Kitty's problems with Kurt, how he kind of makes her feel off and it kind of worries her and whatnot. And then much later on, they are so close kind of thing. So, there's a lot of stuff that happens initially that you really, it, it's it's worth reading just to see where all of those things originated from. I mean, hell, Kitty wasn't even called Shadow
1: Cat at the time. So was like, since she was still going by Sprite. Sprite, yeah. At, at least this was that? before the roller skates, though. Yeah.
0: You know, <laughs> Jesus. So, and then this was right around the time, too, when Storm took over mm-hmm. and when Scott left and, and Storm took over. So, again, it was a. Huge time of change for that cast of characters. I mean, they had just gotten well, relatively speaking, the new team in
1: there kind of thing. And now we have these massive changes again, yeah, that's what kept the X men so exciting back then. you You really never knew it was going to happen issue to issue, yeah, as evidenced here with this you know fast forward to the future, where uh, they managed to disable their you know mutant inhibitor devices, and Rachel using her fancy psychic powers actually manages to send Kate Pride's spirit back in time to inhabit young Kitty's body. And I loved the scene where, you know, all the X-Men are in the danger room and, you know, they're fighting. And Kitty gets her first pass through the danger room and, of course, with her phasing power, literally walks through it with her eyes closed. And you see all the X-Men just laughing up in the control room at that. (laughs)
0: She was an interesting character too, not to interrupt you there, but Mm -hmm. like, I remember when this was happening initially kind of thing and it was, it was fun having this kid joining the team and how it was worked into the stories and different things like that. And it's funny looking back at it now, looking at what the character has become and how important her character is in the current canon. And then. Kind of looking back now or having read this at what the expectation was of what her character would be in the future as Kate Pride kind of thing, who is just as willful, just as intelligent and things like that.
1: So Kate lands in Kitty's body and you know, after a brief stay in the med bay, I I think it's amazing that all the X-Men are that much experts with all the medical equipment without Beast or Professor X around.
0: Freaking Storm, who's
1: nothing but a thief. She's awesome with that stuff. (laughs) Wolverine reading the, you know, the EEG. Yeah. (laughs) Like, really? But anyway, and they they kind of accept the whole, yeah, I'm Kitty from the future inhabiting her body. They're like, that's not the strangest thing we've heard this week. So we find out that the precipitating event here is that the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants are going to assassinate Senator Kelly, who is uh, running for president, as well as Professor X and Moira McTaggart. And this is going to lead to the government passing the Mutant Control Act, which, of course, leads to that dystopian future. So they just set off across the country and basically it's it, they save the day. Like there's there's not a whole lot of story development that really goes on once Kate's there. But we do get some great fight scenes. And this was just, you know, something that made the X-Men so cool back in the day. was all these dynamic characters with all these cool powers. And you really see them using all that stuff here. There's fastball specials going on. There's, you know, Wolverine is just going nuts. And this is what you said with Storm taking over control of the team. This was really their first big team battle with her in charge. And you see the growing pains there of her, you know, Kind of figuring out what to do and not sure if she's able to live up to the task. And her trying to 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 keep
0: Wolverine in check the whole bit yeah. about you'll pop your claws when I tell you to pop your claws. I was like, oh,
1: and <laughs> of course, now. <laughs> this is all uh, paralleled in the future with the surviving members, you know, fighting to, uh, you know, just. I don't even remember what the whole purpose was like they're, they're time traveling. So what what do they really need to the if purpose it works, was to then-
0: yeah but the the purpose was to take down the their stronghold the sentinel's stronghold which was the Baxter building which I thought was brilliant. Um so take down their stronghold so that just in case it doesn't work there isn't the nuclear holocaust that night because that's what they were trying to stave off was that the holocaust.
1: Yeah I suppose that the backup plan does make yeah. sense so no,
0: i thought it, it, it didn't make much sense in execution though as we yeah. saw
1: where very rarely does the cover match what happens in the comics especially now but even back then but when the cover for that second issue said literally everybody dies well everybody yeah. died in that issue and man like i loved you know if you uh, growing up, Colossus was always my favorite X Men character, and of course, I didn't read these when they when they first came out. But uh, they reprinted a lot of the uh, you weren't old school. Born, then, hmm? you weren't born. I was about. <laughs> but uh, back in the late '80s and early '90s, they reprinted a lot of the classic X Men uh, stories in a comic that was called Classic X Men. So it enabled me to really catch up and really appreciate all these uh, stories. And I just loved Colossus and seeing him in the future who, you know, he's seen so much in his lifetime. You know, his children were killed. His wife is, you know, her spirit isn't in her body anymore. And he is just going nuts, crushing buildings (laughs) and toppling sentinels. It was friggin' awesome.
0: (laughs) I love the, the shot where Storm dies and he's holding her and he's crying. And then all you see is a sentinel. Flying through the build, <laughs> I was actually a little disappointed. Disappointed or not, I, I can appreciate why he did it that way. But you actually don't see Colossus dying. You, mm-hmm. she, Rachel tells you that he's dead. So because she feels basically the mind link gone. So I can appreciate that they they did it that way. But I think it would have been considering how striking it was to see. The others go down right before that. I think it would have been good to actually show what happened to him.
1: Yeah. But uh, anyway, the X-Men defeat the Brotherhood, uh, save the Senator, and they all live happily ever after. Except we have that cliffhanger bit where even the threat of what the Brotherhood tried to do was enough to – step up the Sentinel program. Like maybe they can't get the legislation passed because they don't have a martyr, but they can still work pretty hard towards reaching this, this future still inevitably. Yeah. And this was also the,
0: where we saw Shaw as well um, coming in towards the end of that. That was a little bit of a, again, for folks, a little bit of uh, something that I, I don't know if you'd seen him before that. If so, it wouldn't have been that much. Well, he was pretty, I'm trying to remember. Big in the now, comics, yeah. I mean,
1: right, the Dark Phoenix saga. Right, that's was right. That's just right. That's a few right. Yeah, 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 Issues yeah, yeah, You're right. You're right. You're right. Sorry. So yeah, I'm trying but, to
0: place it in the time frame of when it yeah. was. I would have. Jeez, I was a kid when this
1: came up. Mm-hmm. So actually, what was pretty cool is they kept going back to this future storyline in multiple like miniseries and one shots and all kinds of stuff, where even after Kate came back, you know, her and Rachel were still there. Their future was still awful because. It wasn't really a true timeline like they saved the day in the past, but it didn't erase the future. So you have this whole alternate timeline thing and all kinds of shenanigans going on. I'm not going to get into too much detail. Uh, get a lot of actually character development for Rachel, who becomes a you know, pretty big deal and actually eventually ends up coming back to the current day in the regular Marvel Universe and – joining the X-Men and going on adventures there. And it, it was really cool to see this, you know, what was originally just a bit player in a two-issue storyline, even today, is a major factor in the X-Men lore.
0: Yeah. I, she's one of the characters, too, that I've always felt is actually underused. I, I feel that they should be doing more with her in the canon. In,
1: in yeah, we talked about series. that a lot in AVX, too. Yeah, yeah. So, that actually leads to a follow-up event called Days of Future Present, which came out in 1990. And uh, for that year, it traveled across the annuals of Fantastic Four, New Mutants, X-Factor, and Uncanny X-Men. Writing by Walter Simonson, Louise Simonson, and Chris Claremont. Uh, Primary art by Jackson Guise, Terry Shoemaker, Chris Wozniak, John Bogondove, and Art Adams, as well as a whole slew of inkers and colorists to go along with them. But, you know, we have to maintain a timeline here. (laughs) And what's great is even though this is early 90s New Mutants, we are Liefeld free. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> except for that god-awful cover. <laughs> but since it's an annual, they didn't have uh, all of the regular creative teams involved. And thank you for that. Yeah, Marvel. really. <laughs> so we start off with the Fantastic Four who you know, are traveling back to to their home. And this is that weird point in the Fantastic Four where Ben Grimm is human and he has his girlfriend, Sherry, who's the thing. I, I didn't read a lot of Fantastic Four back in the day, so I couldn't tell you what's going on. So it was a little confusing at first. Yeah, really. <laughs> It's like, who's this guy? (laughs) Oh, gotcha. Where they run into a version of the Baxter building from the past, complete with its own Fantastic Four team. And we come to find out that this is the work of Franklin Richards. Now, in Days of Future Past, of course, Franklin died in the future. So we see that apparently he didn't die and, you know, time traveling and reality warping powers. As we've talked about in Fantastic Four, the limits of Franklin's powers are pretty much unknown even now. So back then they could just hand wave anything in the story and go, yeah, Franklin did it. Yeah. So crazy stuff going on there. And of course, with the Fantastic Four, realizing, you know, that's their son there. There's a lot going on there and of course young franklin is very involved in this storyline seeing you know this alternate future version of himself and just being terrified of the amount of power he could conceivably possess
0: I didn't read this one I told you to read it there's
1: so many words
0: <laughs> These old stories are just like they my god Yes I and, okay, I, so. I, I was reading the first <laughs> One, the the days pass, and it was like, it got to the point, no offense to Claremont, but it got to the point where I was skipping massive chunks of text and just looking at the pictures. The fight scenes explained what they were doing. (laughs) I I didn't need to read Storm saying, oh, this is nothing that I used to, to have to do before, and oh, I learned how to do this while I was a thief in Cairo. We know, we know. So, but it's still...
1: All right. So to fast word. forward the days of future present, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, Rachel Summers, who's now serving with Excalibur along with uh, Nightcrawler and Colossus and Kitty, you know, they're all hanging out in England with Captain Britain for a while. She senses uh, Franklin's presence and heads out. And we also come to find out that uh, this character named Ahab, the master of the hounds, is chasing Franklin across time. You know, he was one of the uh, higher ups in the days of future past uh, hierarchy and he was traced chasing down Franklin before he could mess up their timeline. And as I said, they expanded upon uh, Rachel's story, where, as we know, Rachel herself was one of Ahab's hounds. We saw that, you know, and like I said, the AVX stuff where she had the tracking abilities. So all tying together all these storylines, this was actually a really good event. Uh, Once you get into it and actually read it and pay attention to it, you realize all these storylines are really coming together, uh, where we see... Franklin is kind of going to the places where he felt safe in the past, the Baxter Building. He actually goes to Xavier's Mansion where, since he is a mutant, we conceivably at some point in his teenage years went to Xavier's Mansion to train. He became a member of the New Mutants at Xavier's Mansion. So they run into the current New Mutants who are, have Cable as their leader. And that's when you know, so we have Sunspot and Cannonball and all those great characters that we love and this crazy alternate future version of the new mutants that Franklin creates and another huge fight (laughs) banshee with his beard and, you know, missing a hand and this poor dude (laughs) realizing that Franklin's future was not a very fun place. So it's, it's this huge time travel thing going on. Uh, it actually brings X factor into it, which is a whole different realm of craziness because this is X factor, uh, after Madeline Pryor is gone, so Cyclops and is trying to become friendly with Gene again. But he's got this kid he's carrying around from another woman, who is, of course, Christopher Nathaniel Summers, who we find out not at this point in the storyline but a couple years later, is actually Cable. So you have all this stuff going on, along with the multiple Franklins. I, it's just – It was crazy and it kept getting – like just as it was getting to the point where it was too much and too many characters and too much stuff going on, it really tied together in a fantastic way where we see Franklin accepting older Franklin that he was actually dead. And it was just kind of like an across time memory flash where he hijacked young Franklin's powers to give himself – you know, a body there it was draining uh, energy from Rachel in order to maintain his presence. But, of course, that was causing its own problems. It was, you know, draining Rachel. Poor young Franklin was in a coma. And we have all this stuff with uh, Rachel and Jean it was huge. This was the first time Rachel Summers had ever met Jean Grey, her her mother, in, in the alternate future. And all the weird stuff there, how Jean – didn't want to accept her because she was using the Phoenix force and all the stuff Jean had been through with the Phoenix as Scott finding out that uh, Rachel was actually his daughter and Rachel's jealousy for uh, Christopher because as far as she remembers, she was their child, not Christopher. All this great character development stuff that led to a really fantastic story in the end. And you really should go back and actually read it.
0: I, I will. I will. I, I have it.
1: I will read it for sure. <laughs> yeah, and like I said, it, it got huge. It got crazy. Like it was getting to the point where I was like, man, this isn't as good as I remember it being <laughs> as <laughs> as so frequently happens when we look back at these old comics. But the way everything tied together at the end, uh, I really did appreciate how they brought all these characters together and told a really good story that, again, led to so much future stuff that's still important today. Yeah. Well, it's the same
0: thing with the past one, too. It's it, it it's exactly like what we were saying with Wolverine, too, wherein there's the manner in which it was written is a style that does not hold up anymore. So parts of it kind of get a little, they do get a little annoying. But if you can kind of... Just get past that and look at the story for what it is. You have a phenomenal story that moment in time where so much was happening that impacts to this day, kind of thing. So, if you can do that, it's
1: it's really fun to read. Mm-hmm. And you know, it just shows how much of of Claremont's you know vision and all the stuff he created carried through. Like like we've seen so much. A lot of uh, writers with comics today are afraid to really do anything new because, you know, first of all, fans these days don't seem to want anything new. They just want their old favorites repeated ad nauseum and also the whole fact of, you know, why there are so many creators – Today, who feel you know, why should they create something if they're not going to really get any credit for it in the future? But back then, you know, Chris Claremont didn't care. He just kept throwing new stuff out there, great characters who who have evolved and just really become fan favorites for myself. Yep. All right, so we're gonna. uh, stop that discussion there because none of that has anything to do with the movie that's going to come out. It's going to be kind of interesting to see, uh, you know, uh, Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen interacting with uh, James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender. Uh, It's going to be some interesting stuff there, but like I said, I'm not really expecting too much good to come out of the movie, because especially since neither one of us really liked First Class as much as most people did.
0: Well, it depends on who they get to write the script. I mean, if they can get someone decent to write it, the the Days of Future Past, The, I mean, they can do something phenomenal with it. But, I mean, they're going to have to put someone, a scriptwriter on it that's
1: damn good. It's just one of those things where we've seen with so many of the X-Men movies, when you focus the story on too many characters and... There are definitely too many. Basically, all the characters from the first three and first class and adding in new characters specifically for this story. As we've seen, the core of a lot of the stories has been good. Like the core story of X-Men First Class, the stuff with uh, Magneto and Xavier was really enjoyable. stuff with Sebastian Shaw, too. But when you factored in the whole rest of the cast, including Jennifer Lawrence's Mystique, we didn't like. January Jones was God, awful as Emma Frost and, you know, all the throwaway other characters they added in there just to have them there. It really took away from what could have been a much better movie.
0: I won't disagree with you with that. But what I mean is that if they're bringing back these other people, but they're just going to be there for, you know, bit parts just so that, you know, they're there to to create the ambiance of what an X-Men story is because the X-Men story, you do have a lot of mm-hmm. people there, but if they restrict the the main storyline to those main characters, to Kitty, to Colossus, to Wolverine and Storm and Nightcrawler, and, and to a lesser degree, the the villains as well, because Mystique was big in this story and Blob and things like that, then you can have a really, really powerful story that's well done. But again, Uh, it's going to depend on how much screen time they plan on giving everybody.
1: Yeah, Unfortunately, Alan Cummings is one of the few original cast members that's not returning, so there will be no Nightcrawler. And I have to remind you that Halle Berry was awful storm.
0: At this point here, is there really any other, can you say anything about that? Can we get anybody else to do the role? No. So there you go.
1: So it, it, all right. anyway, moving <laughs> away, this is this is <laughs> I want to talk about what we're reading because I kind of skipped my what we're reading last week. So I, I have some catching up to do. You can have uh, f- all of this one. <laughs> OK, then. Uh, first of all, we have Age of Ultron. Did you finally uh, read the last issue there? I'm not caught up yet. No. OK, well, like I said uh, many months ago, this was basically a long miniseries to explain why everybody has new costumes now. Basically, they traveled time one too many times and broke it. They broke time. Now, this does lead to some pretty cool stuff. I mean, the the whole big thing was, you know, the whole Angela stuff, which we're not going to get into. But along with that breaking of time, we have a new event coming up called Hunger, which is Galactus in the Ultimate Universe. Hmm. They, they screwed up Ultimate Galactus when they tried it. So they decided, let's just take the Galactus everybody knows and transport him there. There was this great little one-page scene of Miles swinging through New York, and all of a sudden, hey, there's a big purple guy standing in the middle of Manhattan. <laughs> like, all right, I'm sold on that. And we have uh, Wolverine and the X-Men. Have you read that?
0: Dude, I read th- th- what you told me to okay, read last. Week. That's okay, all did, I read. Yeah, right? That's, That's why you what didn't read, read anything then.
1: I read nothing. You read two comics. Congratulations. <laughs> I, no,
0: I read the other ones, the precursors for two, the well, whole Alpha necessary. Flight stuff, and there. But I read them. <laughs> you told me read this. I read them all.
1: All right, Wolverine and the X. <laughs> give me <our> time. You <laughs> and, tell uh, me to read something. Uh, just I read briefly I then. Um, That's not very cool. As much as we loved Wolverine and the X-Men at the beginning with the establishment of the Xavier School, and we praised Jason Aaron for this crazy cast of characters he threw together and how much fun it was, that was just a warm-up because the Hellfire Academy is ten times more awesome. (laughs) All right. Uncanny Avengers. This – oh, boy. First of all, there's this whole scene at the end where – or not at the end but near the end where the team is basically debating Havoc's speech from – what was it? Issue 5, You know, the famous M-word deal. Yeah. And I, I have to assume this is kind of Remender's way of further explaining it because as we discussed – what Havoc was trying to say and what he actually said were really two different things. And it's cool that we see the team having that exact same discussion of their various interpretations of Havoc's speech. That was really interesting to see that play out. I'm not sure if that was originally the plan or if it was just kind of a, you know, go back and but either way it really worked. Uh oh once I'm finished with this, I had to go back and make sure it was the right number of pages because so much stuff happened in this issue. Uh, we have uh, finally revealed, you know, all the stuff that's going on with uh, that happened in Uncanny X Force. The Avengers find out all the stuff Wolverine did with Warren and uh, the Kid Apocalypse that he killed causes a huge fracture there. Really interested to see that stuff play out. And there was one other thing. Oh my God, I blanked out. <laughs> Edit time. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> Give me a second. I'm picking up the comic. <laughs> this is all staying in. <laughs> I hate you.
0: I know you do. <laughs> that doesn't change the facts.
1: <laughs> Take your time. Oh, there, there we go. We finally see. Um... Okay, you ready? It. Yes, I'm okay. ready. All right. <laughs> the apocalypse twins have their four horsemen. Uh, this is something we've been waiting for. But they've decided, since they could just go around and kill Celestials and get as many death seeds as they want, why not just have four horsemen of death? And since you haven't read it, I'm not going to ruin it. But uh, basically, they resurrect four characters that we thought were dead as their new horsemen. Batman- Holy crap.
0: Batman from the War of Light? <laughs> <laughs> if they can do anything, that's who I would
1: resurrect. <laughs> so, I, like I said... I was shocked that this was only 22 pages. There there was so much story in this comic. It was fantastic. All right. Awesome. And then finally, the last one I want to talk about is The Extinction Parade, uh, written by Max Brooks, who is, uh, of course, best known these days as the writer of World War Z, the zombie survival handbook, and various other assorted zombie goodness. So he's taking his crack at uh, another comic here. He's done some like G.I. Joe stuff in the past where he's doing a traditional, you know, zombie apocalypse type story but told from the point of view of vampires. And we see, you know, the vampires as, you know, the, the as we expect them all, you know, haughty and, you know, you know. <laughs> high class and constantly making fun of the zombies, you know, how they're the lesser undead and just how stupid they are and all this stuff. And then over the course of the story seeing kind of this is different. The, the, the zombies are dumb enough that the humans should be able to stop them. But something different is happening here. And I'm actually kind of looking forward to seeing how that story is going to play out from that point of view. Because that's not really something we've seen. Hmm. And uh, that's really all I had for this week. So you said you had nothing? I got nothing. All right. Fine. You like it when I don't talk. I'm giving you, like, what you want.
0: <laughs> this is fan service for you. Roger shutting up. And for our listeners. You're welcome. Oh. You know I have a mute button here, eh?
1: See, they can't hear you. You can talk all you want. They can't hear you right now. Okay, now you can. Okay. So <laughs> we're going to jump into our new releases this week. And oh, man. Oh, come is on. It can't be-, be any worse than last week. You sure? Oh, damn it. All right. First of all, we have Age of Ultron number 10 AI. Um, assuming that's some sort of... Uh, Bridging issue to the new Avengers AI series that's launching. Uh, We have all new X-Men number 13, Captain America number 8, Daredevil number 27, Guardians of the Galaxy number 4, Hawkeye number 11, a special pizza dog issue. (laughs) Nova number five, Powers Bureau number five, Scarlet Spider number eighteen, Ultimate X Men number twenty eight, Uncanny X Force number seven, Uncanny X Men number seven, Wolverine in the X Men number thirty two, X Men number two, and Young Avengers number six. Seriously, you were saying? No, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And even from DC, we have Batman Superman number one, the new series uh, from Greg Pak and Jai Lee. Sorry, I'm issues, a little excited for that. <laughs> yeah, issues twenty-one for Flash, Justice League, Justice League Dark, and Red Lanterns, which is joining the uh, new creative team train of all the Lanterns books. Along that same vein, we rather unnecessarily have a new ongoing series in Larfleeze number one. Just give up There's on fifty-two. No reason for that, Just yes. give it up. Uh, we have Talon number nine and Wake number two. That Scott Snyder series. That I haven't actually read the first issue yet. I haven't either, actually. All right. And from the rest, we have from Dynamite, Battlestar Galactica number two, as well as a new series, Uncanny number one, uh, which, despite its title, actually does look pretty cool. IDW brings us Doctor Who Prisoners of Time number six, Ghostbusters number five, a new Godzilla series, Rulers of Earth number one, which is picking up where the previous Godzilla series left off and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number twenty three. And from Image, we have Bounce number two, Fatal number fifteen, and another new number one with Lazarus. Uh, really cool looking new story from Greg Rucka. So, um, sorry guys. Yeah, really. <laughs> you weren't planning on eating this week, were you? <laughs> Just walk to work, save some gas. You know, do what you got to do because <laughs> this ain't going to be pretty. All right, well, that's going to wrap us up here, and I hope everybody enjoyed Summer Blockbuster Month. Uh, we'll see what we can do next year because uh, uh, we have some Captain America stuff coming out. Should be in really cool stuff, and of course, Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. Can't wait for that. So, uh, as always, you can find us online at comicbookinformer dot com as well on Twitter at cbinformer. So, until next time, thanks for listening.